This is Jewish Board Talk with Sharice Zephard, only on 101.9 High FM. Professor Andre Fent is a highly esteemed neurodevelopmental pediatrician and is particularly well known for his exceptional knowledge on ADHD. He is also former academic head of pediatrics at the Free State University. He is one of the experts participating in the Bella Vista Share Online International Conference currently taking place. Professor Fenter will be talking on the topic Scattered Minds with the aim of helping those with HDHD, ADHD. His talk will be on the 2nd of June at 7.30. Professor, uh, welcome and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Reese. Thanks for inviting me. What is ADHD? ADHD um, is many thing, different things to different people in the sense like it's a bit like an elephant. What side you stand, it has a different look. But the scientific explanation is that it's a, it's a disorder. It's not a disease. It's a developmental disorder. In other words, it changes over life. And it has three distinct hallmarks. The one is that you cannot attend. And I would like to come back to that fact in a minute. And that you be distracted. The second one is that you have impulsive behavior. And the third one is that you have hyperactive behavior. But before I, we go on about that, I just want to say that there's a misunderstanding that, it, that if you have ADHD that you cannot concentrate. You can concentrate, but you can't concentrate if you think something is irrelevant, if you think it's boring, if there's too many words, if it's on demand. But if it's fascinating, you could. I mean, you know, they could they could focus on Lego for days uh, and, and, and not, not switch off. So it's not like you cannot concentrate, but you can't concentrate on important things or even daily things. Likewise, the hyperactive behavior doesn't mean you run around like a crazy person jumping up walls and hanging from chandeliers, although I do see those children. But it can just mean that you are squirmy, uncomfortable in your skin, having difficulties sit still. And the other one, of course, is verbosity, just talking and talking and talking and often not getting very much to the point. So although we have sort of preconceived ideas about what impulsive behavior is and inattention is and hyperactive, there's many ramifications that if you don't know about it, you won't realize that, that that's actually exactly what you've got. Professor Fenter, in many ways, what you're describing is the average child, though, is it not? No. Well, yes, you may be right, but it's definitely the average child under four years of age. And that is why we loathe to make diagnosis too soon, because under four, you know, are all exploratory, they're emotional, they're on the go, they're fairly hyperactive. But by the time they st- start having to be school ready, that's where I usually pick them up, is that they are so busy and so distracted that they've not learned the skills that get them ready for school. So, yes, you are right. And, of course, if you are all those things, but your development's on track and your social behavior's on track, you don't have a diagnosis. When you speak about um, it being, it's, I think you were the word, it's not a disease, it's a cognitive um, disorder. disorder. Do you? Get it? Are you born with it? I think everybody's wishing to answer that question easily. And, and we've, done, we've just done a, a meta-analysis over the world where we entered millions and millions of people into a research project to see if we could figure it out. And in the end, we are no better than we were. But it is definitely two things. There's a genetic predisposition and there's an environmental part. In all children, the environmental part may not be there, but... There is definitely a genetic component. 80% of children with ADHD will have some sort of obvious genetic link uh, within a family. So if you see, if I see ADHD children, I always make sure the parents haven't got ADHD because then I know the rehabilitation is going to be much more difficult. But they don't necessarily have to have it. And when you talk about environmental, what do you mean? 
we we really talking there about um I, I'll answer the question in two parts. The, the the main part of environmental is the intrauterine in, environment. In other words, what happens in the uterus when a mother's pregnant? And I don't think a lot of people realize that you know the, the the birth is now part of the birth and the pregnancy is now part of the first thousand days. And I don't know if you know that concept, but things that go wrong while the mother is pregnant has profound effects on her ba- baby and her baby's life and that baby's adult life. So one of the things we're trying to make mothers aware of is that stressful pregnancies inevitably lead to children with developmental problems and often ADHD. So if you're secreting a lot of hormones that make because you are very stressed during pregnancy, and that could be for many reasons. It could be for financial reasons. It could be for relationship reasons. It could be for medical reasons. It could be teenage pregnancies. It could be only anything. That child is at risk. So the intrauterine environment is very important. And you know the effect of alcohol in pregnancy, tobacco smoking in pregnancy, premature deliveries, birth asphyxia. All of those are the environmental factors that are linked to ADHD. But even then, there seems to be a somewhat of an underlying genetic component as well. And boys are then more affected than girls. You said there were two different factors. The one was... Oh, and the, the other one is one I have always not taken very seriously. But um, in these uh, latest uh, research and these meta-analysis, you know, big, big databases, it is becoming obvious that air pollution has also got some link. I've always said that it's absolute nonsense, but I now have to eat my words. There is some evidence there that especially the gases from motor cars in cities that are very dense, there is some effect of those, well, we call them toxins then, if you like. Um, on, on children. So again, that would be another environmental hit. I mean, all the things that you've described, you know, the child, him or herself can't prevent. I mean, the child is completely, um, innocent. <laughs> yeah, they're at the mercy of. Yes, that, that's the word. They're exactly they're at the mercy of. Yes. So how does one help a child with ADHD? All right. Well, I, I think Again, there's multiple ways of answering that question. But the first one is to identify whether, in fact, you are dealing with ADHD or something else. Um, there are, and I can go on about other things too, but unnecessarily high expectations. Um, people that have high anxiety, children on the autism spectrum. There's lots of things that look like ADHD that may not be ADHD, although ADHD itself is never pure. It often has baggage with it, uh, which you have to identify. But there's a few things that you have to deal with when you want to manage a child or help a child with ADHD. And and I think the first one is to empower the parents to know what they're dealing with and how to deal with it. Because it is quite a, uh, a challenge for parents to know what to do with breakfast that goes wrong, what happens about bedtime that goes wrong, and if you explain to them, explain to them what the triggers are now to do with, I think that helps a lot. So for me, that's very important. As long as we understand it doesn't make the ADHD better, it just makes people better at ADHD. The second thing is that we want to know about their nutrition. Again, I'm not a person who goes hysterical about nutrition, but we do know that too much, too much, um, food colorants, too much artificial flavorings are not great. Um, there is this whole issue about sugar. This latest um, research has shown that we should actually just put it to rest. Lots of kids go berserk on sugar, but it doesn't cause your ADHD. Um, but that, that's probably not a major one. 
But I think a child should be well nourished. And we, what we want is we want them to have good protein diets. What we see is that they're all on carbs because that's all they really want to eat. Then there are the supplements, and there really aren't hardly any supplements with any evidence base whatsoever. The only two that has come up fairly consistently is the omega-3s, fatty acids, and iron if the child is iron deficient. Those are important. So that leaves us with medication, which is the one thing people will try and avoid at all costs. But medication is interesting. Uh, if you look at the bang for your bucks, it is by far the most potent intervention, certainly in the short term. But the long term, the jury is still a little bit out. But we know that the cost of not treating ADHD, and by ADHD, and now I mean significant ADHD, I'm not talking about a child who's a bit restless and a bit, you know, but he's doing okay at school and he's playing on the first team rugby. That's not the kid we're talking of. But a child who's profoundly affected by his ADHD, both socially and academically, medication should always be on board. You can do all the other things. You can do the remedial and the occupational therapy and the speech therapy, but the child's not going to benefit from those interventions if his attention is not adequate. Um, if you think of medicine, we always talk about effect size. An effect size of one means a medicine is 100% effective. There's very little medicine that is 100% effective in our whole armatorium. I mean, people drink things like, and I don't want to mention a name, but they're on antidepressants. And the effect size of antidepressants is 0.45. It's less than half. And they work well. I mean, we know that they work well. Well, the effect size of the medications for ADHD is over one. It's better than 100% as long as the side effect profile is not a problem, which, of course, it can be a problem, and then you can't use it. So for me, medication is really imperative to get on board, but you still have to do all the other things. And the last other thing that I think is very important, and that's the Bella Vista talks are about, is what about education? Are they in the right schools? Are they in the right environment? Are they taking the right subjects? Those And that's the kind of things that I deal with mostly when I see children um, at the schools is, are they well-placed? Are we doing everything we can? It's not just popping a pill, but it's also then dealing with all the other consequences after that. So I'm not going to explore that because if anybody would like to hear more about that, they need to attend the talk on the 2nd of June, which is at 7.30 p.m. What I do want to ask is... Um, you spoke about a developmental and it's not something you necessarily have. Can you outgrow or just learn to manage ADHD? I think that's a very, very valid question. And, and that is a question which answer has moved enormously in the last 50 years. If I'd spoken to you when I started in ADHD, I would have said you outgrow it by 12, 13, 14, and then you're on your way. We are now very, very sure that you don't outgrow it at all in your lifetime, but you get better at it. So hyperactive behavior and to some extent impulsive behavior, except talkativeness. We all know those mothers that talk a lot. Um, that gets better. Uh, that, that does get better. And organization sometimes improves or you get people to organize for you. But the attention deficit is kind of remains. But you are right. When you're on medication, you actually are able to teach your brain new tricks so that you can function off medication eventually. The official data that's just come out all over the world is that 6.25% of children to about, um, yeah, about 6% of children um, have ADHD. And in the adults, it's less than 3%. So you can see more than half seem to settle in their lifetimes. My last question to you then would be um, people who have overcome it and done extremely well because ADHD shouldn't be seen as an obstacle to great performance. I love that question because that's what I always talk about. Um, 
I, I have a talk, which is the ADHD, the good news. And when you start looking at people that made hyper successful lives, despite having ADHD and sometimes not even having been treated initially or not being diagnosed initially, I think the sky is the limit. Um, one of the most exciting days I had was a child that we, I don't want to tell the whole story because it's really quite moving and I usually burst into tears, but a child that we really battled with and we couldn't find a niche for him and he really had difficulty. And then one day at the school, a teacher just said, but why don't you help me with this project? And the child helped and then became so engrossed in this whole field. And I don't want to say too much about it because the mother might be listening. And then eventually went to New York. And one day I was giving a talk and she called me and she says, I just want to tell you, my son's walking across the stage now getting his master's in electrical science and engineering. So, yes, I think the sky is the limit. It depends on whether we break your spirit. It depends on your own um, uh, discipline. And it depends whether we've managed you well. So I don't think it's a reason for failure. I got goosebumps when you told me that story. So I can understand why you would be emotional uh, just being so close to the people. Professor Venter, thank you so much for joining me. I just want to remind anybody who would like to hear more. I have in the past been to Professor Venter's speeches and it was the time flies and it's, it's a really, really informative. So I encourage anybody wanting to learn more about ADHD to do so. Um, the talk is on 2nd of June at 730 if you'd like to book, um, you need to go to bellavistashareonline.org.za and click on 2021 Online Conference. Professor Venter, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. It was a great pleasure talking to you. That was Professor Andre Fenter, um, a highly esteemed neurodevelopmental pediatrician.